Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity's true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. You can learn all the evidence that you can learn for truth, God, miracles, Jesus, the New Testament, the resurrection. You can learn it all. You can go to thousands of books that will teach you the evidence for Christianity but you might not be able to share it in a casual conversation. You know how frustrating that is? You know that Christianity is true beyond a reasonable doubt, yet you can't present it in a way that people are convinced that it's true beyond a reasonable doubt. You fumble over yourself. You got too much information in your head. You're not exactly sure where to go with the conversation. You feel the pressure. You got to get to the foot of the cross with everybody. Do you really have to do that? Well, you know, there was a book written 10 years ago that I've made part of all the training that I do, particularly at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, CIA because it's written by my friend Greg Kokel. The book is called Tactics. It's one of only two texts that are required for CIA. The other is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. But I don't have enough faith to be an atheist isn't worth much to other people if you can't share the information with other people. And that's what the book Tactics does. Now, the wonderful thing about Tactics, if you thought it was good to begin with 10 years ago when it was written, it's been updated by Greg and it just came out this week. It's the 10th anniversary of edition tactics a game plan for discussing your christian convictions it's updated and expanded and greg is going to talk to us about it or with me about it for the next uh for the next 50 minutes so it's always great to have greg on the show greg how are you i'm doing great buddy it's always a treat to hang with you looking forward to it yeah, well, this book has been a staple. I think it should be a staple in every Christian's life. I know uh -huh. it's been in mine for 10 years. First of all, why did you decide to update it? It was already great. I mean, C.S. Lewis never updated Mere Christianity. What are you messing with the classic <laughs> tactics for? Huh? What are you doing? You're messing it up, well, are you? What's, what's yeah. going on? Well, here's here's why I did that. First of all, I'm not C.S. Lewis, so I you know I have to come <laughs> around for a second a second shot at this. But what happened, Frank, and part of it is because of our involvement with CIA, is I began thinking. Uh, first thing is thinking of better ways to explain the general approach, the game plan, which you know is at the core of the whole tactical enterprise, the game plan that use other tactics to abet, so to speak. And I just found better ways of explaining it. And there's one aspect that I talk about the difference between gardening and harvesting and the emphasis on gardening, I think that we need a shift to because of the culture that I hadn't explained very well 10 years ago when I wanted to expand on that. And then there were aspects of the tactical approach that being at CA for CIA, for example, and doing the advanced sessions, I thought, wow, this is a better way to explain this. So I found improved ways of communicating the ideas that I kind of honed at CIA, and then I added that into the book. But there's more than that, Frank, because it isn't just that I improved on the old stuff. 
Um, I've actually almost doubled the number of tactics in the tactics book because over the years I've found additional maneuvers that are, I think, are really, really effective in helping people to make the case that Christianity is worth thinking about. And I wanted our new readers to have that. So I have six new chapters. I have 40 percent new material and all the old material just sounds a lot better because I've uh, rewordsmithed it and I've learned a few things about writing in the last 10 years. So it's overall a much better edition than the first one. Well, it was a great edition, the first edition. So if it's going to be better, you already got five stars on Amazon and people listening should go up to Amazon and uh, put a five-star review up there because you have to start over, Greg, because this really is a new book, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And in fact, yeah, with the regard to Amazon, I lost over 525 five-star reviews because with the old book because now they got to start over with the new one. So I'm thankful that you sent people to uh, the Amazon site to weigh in if they like the book. But it is a new book. It is a, a people who read it again who get the new edition, the 10th anniversary edition, they're going to recognize a lot of stuff because all of the old good stuff is still there. It's just better written. It's better explained. And there's a whole bunch of new stuff uh, as well. So buy the new book and give your old one away to somebody and hammer away at the new book because it's going to make you a lot better apologist. Now, did you literally rewrite the whole thing or did you keep some chapters the same? How did, it, well, how did you do that? What I did, I just started from the very beginning and started uh-huh. moving through the text. So a lot of the text is going to be uh, familiar to people. But what I did is I added things in in the the chapters that I've learned since then. I've, like I said, wordsmithed a little differently. So you're, you're mm-hmm. going, every word was, in a certain sense, re, line by line, I went through to rewrite. Some things didn't need to be changed. A lot of things were. So it, it is a, it isn't just like I added a couple new chapters and that's it. Um, Mm. I reworked the entire book to make it as good as I could the second time around. Now, when we first started CIA, tactics hadn't come out yet. And we were using, I think, a PDF that you had done and also some videos. I know you're probably probably working on this down the road, but is there going to be a curriculum? Because there should be a curriculum that goes with this book, Greg. Well, there is a curriculum now that uh, that uh, Zondervan has put out, and just okay. last week, uh, a couple of days ago, actually, in San Diego, where you and I were both at ETS, uh-huh. um, I spent uh, four hours in the afternoon filming new material that they're adding to that curriculum to bring the curriculum up to date with the new material. Okay, good. So that'll be coming out, I assume, in the next few months, I'd imagine, right? For uh, yes, it will. The, um, right. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Is that video? That's totally video based with a workbook and all that. That's what they're doing. There is a workbook. There is a workbook that goes with it. And um, I don't know if the workbook is going to have the new material or not. It might be the workbook based on the first book, but then you have the Mm -hmm. added videos that cover the new the new tactics that I've included. Well, for the few people out there that haven't heard of the book, Greg, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the Colombo tactic. What is the Colombo <laughs> tactic? This is this is the this is the foundation of tactics. What, what is right. the Colombo tactic? Start there. Well, the subtitle is a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, and the one tactic that is the centerpiece, uh, which is the simplest tactic imaginable to stop a challenger in their tracks, to turn the tables, and to get them thinking. Uh, the simplest tactic to 
put you in the driver's seat of the conversation. And that's the goal of the tactical approach. It's not to manipulate. It's to manage. It isn't to coerce. It's to, it's to control. So you move the conversation in the direction you want it to go. It's a tactic that I named after the infamous Lieutenant Colombo because he shows up at the crime scene. For those who remember, for those who didn't know, I acted out on stage with a trench coat and the cigar, the whole deal, because he shows up disheveled, looking like he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he's stupid, but he's stupid like a fox because he has a plan. And using these uh, uh, unassuming kinds of questions, the he disarms people, he gathers some information, but little by little, as he's asking these questions, he's building up the information he needs. And then the questions get more pointed as he goes after the bad guy. And so this is very simple way of doing the same thing when we engage people uh, about our own convictions. Uh, there's a lot of hostility out there, uh, Frank, and you know this. And so mm. a lot of Christians are nervous about engaging. And so if I can teach them a method, which this book has, that will allow them to come in in a certain sense, kind of casually relaxed and under the radar using questions like Lieutenant Colombo, then it gives even the most timid person an op or uneducated person an opportunity to begin to engage in a productive way without taking any risks. And the reason why I suggest asking questions, and that's the core of our whole tactical approach, even when we discover weaknesses or flaws using some of the other tactics, like the suicide tactic, which, by the way, was in your introduction to the show here, you know, when you're mm -hmm. talking about truth, that's a question that can be used with the Colombo tactic. We'll explain more in just a moment. That's right. We're coming up to the break. My friend Greg Kokel is the author of the fabulous book, Tactics, updated and expanded. Just came out this week. If you've got the original, you need to get this one because it's really a new book written even better with more tactics in it, about 40 percent more. You're going to want to get it. Go to Amazon, go to crossexamine.org, go to Stand to Reason, wherever you want to go, you can get it back in two. Ladies and gentlemen, can you help me with something? Can you help me get this podcast before more people? Not only tell your friends about it, but go up to iTunes and put a five-star review on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. If you do that, it will help us move the podcast up the charts so more people will hear it. Thank you so much for partnering with me on this. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. By the way, if you haven't seen our YouTube channel, you need to go up there. We have about 600 short videos, most of them from the college campus, Q&A. I get questions on the college campus. We film it all. We put it up on YouTube. These are short videos that you can share with anyone. And as you watch some of these Q&As, you'll see what I'm doing is exactly what Greg does in the book Tactics. I'm just asking questions back. When they say something, mm -hmm. I ask, what do you mean by that? Can you clarify that? What evidence do you have for that position? And this is part of what Greg talks about in the book Tactics. So, Greg, let's go back to the to the Colombo tactic now. Sure. It seems to me there are there are three levels of this tactic as I remember, but 
That's Explain right. it a little bit more. Yeah, the, well, there's three parts of the game plan. And um, when I say game plan, here's how I want people to understand this. If you have a football team, you're going to play the Super Bowl. You do your strategizing. You do your practice. You learn your place and everything. But you are not thinking about the end of the game when you get out on the field. You are th- If you do, you're distracted. You are thinking about executing that play at that moment. And if you execute your plays well, execute your plays well, you're going to do – you're going to end well is the idea. But you got to be focused. So what I tell people is in this three-step game plan, um, you want to start thinking uh, – well, you want to start with the first step. But you don't want to be thinking about what's down the line. You don't want to be thinking about winning that person to Christ. Actually, you don't even want to be thinking yet about getting to the gospel because you have no idea at this point what you're facing. The first step of the game plan is simply this. You are gathering information. You are gathering information. So you're going to use questions to get more information about a person's view. Now, you do this in a superb fashion, Frank, on these videos you just mentioned. And I've watched these videos, and you're really good because you understand that when skeptics fire back a challenge or even a question meant to challenge your point of view, there are all kinds of ambiguities that are built into the question. And so, because people are just repeating slogans much of the time. Right. And so what you want to do in the very first step, before you even try to answer any challenge, is you want to get more information to get more clarity on the challenge that's being offered. And so you're going to offer some version of the question what do you mean by that? All right, let me give you an example. Uh, and by the way, you can, there's many ways of doing this, but one simple example. So a student came up to me and said, it's Summit Ministries, which you, go, which you work at as well, mm-hmm. um, in Colorado Springs, <clears throat> said, somebody told me that everything's relative. How do I answer that argument? I said, well, it's not <laughs> an argument, first of all. It's just a statement. And I, would, I wrote a book on relativism. I know what that's all about, but it doesn't mean that the person offering the challenge does. And a lot of times a Christian feels stonewalled. They don't know what to do with that. How about just asking this question? What do you mean by that? All right. What do you mean by relative? What do you mean everything's relative? Now it's their turn to talk. Notice in one simple move, we've taken the ball that's in our court causing stress and anguish for us if we don't know how to deal with it, and we've tossed it right back in the other person's court. Now, that's not to just to get away from the question. That buys us a little time for thinking, but it also requires the other person to think more carefully about exactly what they mean. We want them to give us more information. Now, once they clarify what they mean by relative, now we got something to work with, at least initially. But I have another question about the claim, everything is relative. What do you mean by relative is the first one. How about what do you mean by everything? <laughs> I mean, if they, mm-hmm. I mean, if everything means everything, right, isn't the mm-hmm. statement itself, everything's relative, part of everything? And mm. if it's part of everything, then that statement itself would be what? relative also. And so this is a little bit more advanced, the suicide tactic kind of working its way in there. But notice how in this first step, we're just we're just gathering information. We're not taking the responsibility to answer anything yet. yet. We are just letting the other person clarify. So when somebody says to you, well, uh, believing a God is stupid, it's irrational. Hmm. Oh, gee, let me think of all the rational reasons that I could, why I believe a God. No, don't go there yet. How about this? Really? What's irrational about it? 
Mm. Now, that's just another version of what do you mean by that? But I want them to articulate in more clear fashion precisely what the problem is. So if somebody says regarding abortion, they say, well, maybe the unborn is a human being, but it's not a person. Oh, now we're stuck. Now we got to defend the personhood of the unborn. No, we don't. Not yet. We ask the other person, what's the difference? What's the difference between a human being and a human person? What is that? That's just another clarification question. Oh, what do you mean by that question? That's all it is. And the reason they have to answer this in the question about abortion is they've just divided humanity into two categories, human persons and human non-persons. Human persons get full protection of the law, but human non-persons you can, you can kill with impunity. So you better know where that dividing line is, right? So you know what mm. side of the line you're on. Now, these are all examples, almost all of these are given in the book, and many, many more to show how powerful this very first step of the Colombo game plan is. All we're doing is being a student of the other person's point of view, and we're going to let them talk about it. We're going to let them share their view. Now, let me tell you a secret that you already know about this, Frank, but your listeners don't know. You will be amazed at how many times you ask the question, what do you mean by that? In some variation, and what you get is dead air. That's right. <laughs> right? You get a blank stare mm -hmm. because people repeat slogans. They haven't thought about these things. Simply put, they don't know what they mean by that. Now, by the way, this happens on both sides of the aisle, right? Christians are the same boat. But see, when we require clarity, we are doing it to bring clarity to the discussion. We're not trying to trick people. We're not trying to make a trap for them, although sometimes they feel a little trapped, but only because they haven't thought through their own view. We're just trying to get more information with this first step of Colombo. And by the way, let the, the people, I'm just saying, <laughs> folks, this is really easy to do. And you can ask this question all day long until the cows come home of most people because you're asking for their point of view in a clear fashion. And most of the time, skeptics are happy to talk about their own point of view and others as well. And what are we doing? We are patiently, calmly, politely listening with no pressure on us. And as we listen, we may see an opening for something else. We may hear something that uh, else that is vague or unclear, and we can ask another question about that particular kind of thing. So the first step, we just want to gather as much information as we can to get the lay of the land in the person's own views or the nature of their objections. I once had a uh, was given a presentation based on my book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, uh, Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone, and there was a homosexual activist in the audience that came up to me and called me a bigot. Now... When that happens, you, you, you could get flustered and say, gee, well, here's why I'm not a bigot. But I didn't do right. that. I used the tactic. I said, well, what do you mean by bigotry? Right. And he said, right. he said, fear and intolerance. And I said, right. fear and intolerance? That's not bigotry. I said, bigotry is prejudging something without any evidence. And I said, with all due respect, sir, if anyone's a bigot, it's you <laughs> because, <laughs> because you are judging my position without even knowing anything about uh, it. You right, haven't read right. my book. I have reasons for why I believe what I believe. Sure. And so sure. 
and, and there's another aspect of this, Greg, that I really want people to, to, to understand that, that I think is liberating for them. In fact, you gave a presentation at William Lane Craig's um, little gathering at the Evangelical right. Theological Society last week. Right. And I was not there, but the wife of a very prominent apologist was there. Uh-huh. And um, we all had lunch the next day. And she said, you know, that Greg Kokel, wow, in 10 minutes, he really talked a lot about gardening and uh, and, and how we have to cultivate these opportunities. And we don't have to get to the foot of the cross with every conversation. Sure. And that really took all the pressure off me. I felt like, wow, I can do that. I can just ask questions. Go into the sure. gardening thing a little bit more, Greg, so sure. people Let- understand your, your, your approach here. Yeah, this is a predicate really to the whole game plan. Before we get too far away from the issue, though, when a, when a person calls you a bigot and mm-hmm. you ask them what do you mean by that, that actually I've isolated as a separate tactic that I call sticks and stones. Remember, <laughs> sticks and stones can break yes, your bones sure. and names never hurt you, right? Yeah. So that's actually in the mini tactics section. And when he said, well, it's fear and intolerance, um, why would you think I'm afraid of you? That's another follow-up question, okay? Right. And, and what do you mean by intolerance? So you took an angle on that, which was great. But at the same time, there's more questions that could have been asked. For sure, you could keep going. Yeah, and because intolerance is an ambiguous term, mm-hmm. and for to claim that we're afraid of people, why would why would people think we're afraid of them? Okay, so mm-hmm. there. I just wanted to cap that off a little bit to help people sure. see the uh, pattern. Um, I came to a realization a number of years ago that really helped me. It was kind of an epiphany would help me adjust my whole approach to the tactical enterprise because the tactical enterprise is a game plan. But I think that there's a there's a. A, a mentality going into it that really helps. And I'll, I'll touch on it right now. I know you got a break coming up, but here's what occurred to me. What occurred to me is that before there could be any harvest, there always has to be a season of, let's just call it gardening. Let me say that again. Before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening. Now, I became a Christian during the Jesus movement back in the 70s, okay? And all the emphasis then, and I think largely now, on evangelism is basically trying to close the deal. Well, that's harvesting. But, you know, the field's not always ripe for harvest. And not of us, all of us are good at harvesting. And some people, if they think they got to close the deal, makes them really nervous. And what do they do? They sit on the bench. What I want people to see is there is a season also of gardening that's really important. John chapter four, Jesus told the disciples after he talked to the woman at the well, that you are about to reap where you did not sow. Huh. Jesus is identifying one field, Sychar, in that particular situation in Samaria, two different seasons, a sowing and a reaping season, and therefore two kinds of workers, those who sow and those who reap. And the disciples in that situation were going to get the low-hanging fruit. Somebody else did the heavy lifting. And what I try to explain to people is the nature of gardening. And we can get back to that in just a moment. But that's a critical phase that serves that the game plan that we're talking about is meant to serve. And it takes all the pressure off you. You can still make progress. In fact, you can make progress without even without even knowing much, just by that's asking right. questions. You know, that's the beauty of tactics. It's easy to ask questions. It's hard to answer them. 
You're listening to Cross-Examined, or actually, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist now. We've changed the name of the podcast with Frank Turk, my guest, Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason, his brand new, and it is new, anniversary edition, 10th anniversary edition of Tactics is a book you need to get. Go get it right now. We're back in two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or Cross-Examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. You may be wondering to yourself, this Greg Kokel's awfully articulate. How come? Well, you know, Greg does a podcast radio program every week as well, and he's not from New Jersey. That's why he speaks so well. And uh, he's actually from Chicago. But I'm he lives a nice guy. That's right. He actually lives out in, out in the L.A. area. And uh, he has a podcast that I listen to every week. You can listen to. In fact, he has two of them. One is just uh, the Stand to Reason podcast, and the other is STR Ask that he does with Amy Hall, and they answer right. questions there. And so you can learn some of the tactics just by listening to Greg talk on the radio and dealing with the questions that Amy throws at him off of Twitter that people tweet in questions, and Amy gives them to Greg, and Greg, Greg answers them, and then Amy answers them as well. So check out those podcasts, the uh, Stand to Reason podcast and the STR ask podcast sometimes amy answers sometimes amy answers them better than i do so i wouldn't say that greg but that's true (laughs) anyway (laughs) so let's go back to this gardening situation because it's very liberating for people greg they think that as soon as they talk to somebody they got to somehow do the four spiritual laws and get to the foot of the cross with everybody and you found that isn't always the case so give us some more tips on gardening yeah. By the way, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus mm-hmm. didn't get to the gospel uh, in every conversation. Lots of times he got halfway there. In other words, he gave the bad news and he let that sit for a while so people could chew on it and feel the burden of the law before he said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So just a thought there. Um, in the, in, regarding the the, uh, the gardening uh, concept, as I was Thinking about what Jesus said there in John chapter four, and identifying one field but two kinds, two seasons that I'm calling gardening and and uh, uh, and and harvesting, and therefore two kinds of workers. I realized as I look back at my life, Frank, that I was really a gardener. I wasn't harvester. And act, when I thought about the history, and I, now I tell this to audience straight out because I know it really freaks them out at first. And what I say to them, I did this last weekend at the EPS conference in San Diego. I said, actually, I have not led someone to the Lord in the last 35 years. I knew you were a heathen. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> what a loser, you know, uh-huh. is what some people might think. But then I told them this. You know this guy named um, Jay Warner Wallace? Does that name ring a bell? You know, the guy who wrote the bestseller, Cold Case Christianity, and the bestseller, uh, God's Crime Scene, and the bestseller, Forensic Faith, etc., etc. Uh, that guy, yeah, one of the most articulate and powerful apologists that's on the team today. 
Jim Wallace listened to this, my own podcast, when he was still an atheist. In mm-hmm. other words, Jim Wallace was in my garden, all mm-hmm. right? Somebody else harvested that fruit. Oh, by how, how about this? How about this one, by the way? Abdu Murray, who is the mm-hmm. senior vice president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, a Muslim turned Christian. Abdu listened to our podcast when he was still a Muslim. Abdu Murray was in my garden. Okay. In other words, somebody came into my garden and they picked my fruit, you know? <laughs> Get out of my garden. Get no, off my lawn. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Get off my crabgrass. No, I don't <laughs> care about that. Jesus said in John 4 so that the one who reaps and the one who sows can rejoice together. And that's my attitude. I'm a gardener. I'm gardening. It's okay. I'm one of many gardeners. We're all working together. And if somebody else wants to reap the fruit in my garden, when it's ready, knock yourself out, you know? And so here's how this has adjusted my goal in conversations. And this is really important. It's probably what your friend was referring to the other night at dinner. And that is my goal in any conversation, (coughs) pardon me, is not to get to the foot of the cross or lead that person to Christ. I'm not swinging for the fence. All right. What I'm trying to do (coughs) is much more modest. I just want to put a stone in their shoe. Okay. And in fact, when I speak at universities, I tell the secular audience that I'm not here to convert you. I just want to annoy you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, in a good way. And of course, they all chuckle because they expect the Christian to annoy them. And I said, okay, I'm your guy, but you'll thank me when I'm done, because I hope that you're walking out of here with something that I've said that have just got you thinking. And if I can get you thinking, I'm satisfied. Now, what this means for the average Christian is they don't have to feel the pressure of getting to that end game and trying to close the deal. They can just see themselves as one of many players on the team in the garden, pulling a weed here or there, maybe watering, putting some fertilizer in to follow that metaphor or to mix the metaphors, just putting a stone in someone's shoe just to get them thinking. And if I can do that using my game plan, and that's what the purpose of the game plan is, I'm a happy camper. Well, we're not saying that you might not have the opportunity to lead one to Christ, but you don't have to put that pressure on yourself, yeah, something yeah. something you can't do anyway on, on your own. You don't sure. have to put that pressure on yourself with every conversation. That's what you're saying. Yeah, you're saying you can just move exactly. people closer. Yeah. yeah, people people sometimes ask me, well, when do you get to the gospel in your system? And what I say to them is I say, I get to the gospel whenever I want. And what I mean is I have the freedom to assess the circumstances with the best wisdom that God gives me in the, in, in the moment to give what is needed in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Paul says in Colossians 4, uh, verse 6, so that, we, so that we know how to respond to each person. So sometimes... Blurting out the gospel is not the best way to go in that conversation. Maybe there's some tilling that needs to be done first before the gospel will sound reasonable to that person, what Francis Schaeffer used to call pre-evangelism. And so in that circumstance, I don't. But in other circumstances, if it's going smoothly, I can choose to go. I just am not under the pressure to shoehorn some kind of simplistic characterization into the conversation uh, just to satisfy somebody else's idea of what evangelism should look like. I have the freedom. Right. 
We're, we're talking to Greg Kokel. The brand new 10th anniversary edition of Tactics is out. We have it at crossexamine.org. It's cheaper than Amazon, by the way. You can probably get it at Whoa. Stand to Reason as well, str.org. Yes. Uh, so, and if, if, if you go up to Amazon, put a five star review up there after you take a look at the book, and it is definitely a five star book. You're going to want to get this book, Tactics. Makes a great Christmas gift, by the way. You might want to consider yeah. that now yeah. that we're coming up to Christmas. Now, Greg, I've never asked you this question, but I, I need to ask you the question because I'm very curious. You know, I learned most of what I learned in order to write, say, a book like I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist from Dr. Norman Geisler. But right. how did you even – how did tactics come on your radar? How, how did this even come about in your mind that I got to write a book about how to have intelligent conversations with people? How, how did sure. you do this? Well, I think it was uh, born of necessity, Frank, because not only was I, as any Christian should be, trying to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within me, okay? Um, but I was also doing radio. Um, now, this is my 30th year. And so mm. when people would ask me questions on the radio, I'd have to think about ways to maneuver. And frankly, some of this stuff just came to me. Uh, other things were things that I knew of from others like asking questions is not new. It goes all the way back more formally to Socrates. It's called right. the Socratic method. That's 400 years before Christ. But what I tried to do is find different ways of using these things. And then people gave me feedback at different times and how to improve it. I took things that were already in place, like taking the roof off, which is Francis Schaeffer, or the suicide tactic, which is just basic self refutation, and I gave it a name, and I tried to more, be more intentional about breaking it into pieces and helping people see variations of the theme. And some things that I just came up with on my own in the, in the crucible of the exchanges, just like you have when you're on campus. So it's a combination of factors that led over time to the development of these tactics. Now, what I've hopefully what I've tried to do then is take all of that discovery process out of the loop for the Christian, put it all in one tome, let them read it, and then start using it. Get into the shallow end of the pool. That's okay. Start using it, and you know these things become second nature after you've used them for a while and have a powerful impact on the people that you're talking with. It will really help you identify the assumptions underneath the question or the assertion being made. So right. this is critical to ask questions like, what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? These are questions you can all find in the book Tactics. The other great question I use quite a bit, Greg, that I learned from you is when you're asked a question about a controversial topic, what do you think about same-sex marriage? What do you think about transgenderism? What do you think about abortion? You should first ask do you consider yourself a tolerant person? Now, why, why do you, why do you yeah. suggest people ask that question, Greg? Yeah, well, I think the way they ask it there, as you've described it, and that's often the way it's given, is to pigeonhole you, pigeonhole you in some negative fashion. They want to make you look bad because they know mm -hmm. what the Christian view is, and they, the Christian may just state the view in a, you know, bald fashion. In other words, here mm -hmm. it is. And then that makes them look bad to everyone else. And that's why sometimes you have to set up a circumstance so that you protect yourself a little bit from that. And that's why your question, would you think, uh, do you, before I answer you the question you, you asked me, which I, you know, I have some point, views on, but um, I, I want to ask you a question first. Do you think, would you consider yourself a tolerant person? Or do you think 
that your view is the only legitimate view. Okay, Mm -hmm. so now notice how I defined tolerance after a fashion that the definition was the way they use tolerance. I think it's a distortion, but I want to make clear from their perspective, tolerance is you agree with my view. And if you disagree with my group, then you're intolerant because you think Mm. you're the only one who's right. So I'm going to use that against them. Would you consider yourself a tolerant person? In other words, you think other views are equally legitimate or do you think your view is the only legitimate view? Now it's their term to answer. And they're either going to say I'm tolerant or intolerant. Guess what? Most, if they say that, well, I think I'm right and everybody else is wrong, which they're probably not going to say because that would sound intolerant to them. <laughs> well, then you could say, well, then I'm, if that's your view, I'm not going to I'm not going to share my view because you're just going to be take, use it as an opportunity to bully me or beat up on me. OK, mm-hmm. so there, there's another word you could use bullying. OK, yeah. now, if they say, no, I'm consider myself a tolerant person. In other words, you don't think your view is the only one that's right and other views are equally legitimate. You can clarify once again. They say, okay, fine, then here's my view. And then we try as graciously and reasonably to share our view. Now, this puts the other person in a tough spot but because if he tries to bully you, which they normally would try to do, then they're going to sound like they're the intolerant ones there. Now, this doesn't guarantee you're not going to get trouble from the other side, but it sure does protect you a lot. Right. And there's so many other tactics. In fact, we're going to get into some new tactics right after the break. Just a few of them that Greg has in the book. You got to get the book to get all of them. The new book is called Tactics, the 10th Anniversary Edition by Greg Kokel, K-O-U-K-L. K-O-U-K-L, if you haven't heard of this, you need to get this book, friends. It will revolutionize your ability to share Christ in a very tactical and easy way. So get it now. Back in two. Ladies and gentlemen, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. If you like what we do, would you please consider going to crossexamined.org and giving us a tax-deductible donation? 100% of your donations will go to ministry, 0% to buildings. Thanks so much. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. My guest is the great Greg Kokel, his brand new book, the 10th anniversary edition of Tactics You Need to Get. We've got a lot to cover in this last segment. So, Greg, let me get right into it. We talked a little bit about the first step of Columbo, which is what do you mean by that? Talk about the second and third briefly, just to give them kind of a, an, an update. Yeah, well, I'll just close the loop on that. Yeah. The uh, first step, you're gathering information about what their idea is. The second step, you want to know why they believe their idea is a good one. And you you kind of made reference to this in our conversation already, Frank, but you're going to ask some form of the question, now, how did you come to that conclusion? So once you get all the information about their view, now you want them to know what are your reasons for the view? And again, this keeps the Christian in a very, very safe place because they're just gathering a different kind of information and they are not putting their own view out there, okay? For some apologetics type, this is frustrating because they want to do all the talking. That's not the system. You guys like you and I got to scale back a little bit and ta- for tactically effective reasons, draw the other person out, their point of view and their reasons for it. That's the basic game plan. There is a third use of Columbo, and we use questions to make a point. Mm-hmm. So lots of times when it's our turn to kind of weigh in with our point of view, we want to think of creative ways to do that by using 
questions. Maybe we're going to tell them what our view is. Maybe we're going to exploit a weakness or a flaw. Like somebody says, hey, you know, it's wrong to judge. Okay, well, there's a problem there because they're judging when they say that. (laughs) All right. So we could say, hey, you're judging me. That's a statement. Or we could say, gee, if it's wrong to judge, then why are you judging me right now? Mm. Wow. That's another question. Now they get to answer it. The ball's in their court. There's using a question to make the point that their point of view is committing suicide. So those are the three basic steps of the game plan. I go, I mean, one third of the book is all about that basic game plan and how you can use, how you can defend when people are using questions against you. And more and more atheists are doing that nowadays. I want to go back to something that was related to the question that I I brought up earlier when you're dealing with somebody you know who's aggressively against your point of view and you ask, do you consider yourself a tolerant person? You have another tactic that's related to that, and it's called what a friend we have in Jesus. Explain that one. Okay. (laughs) Well, the simple use of this is that whenever possible, make your opponent argue against Jesus instead of arguing against you. Good. We're followers of Christ. Our goal is to have the same views that Jesus had. <clears throat> On a lot of these controversial issues, Jesus has already weighed in. So let's let him do the fighting. Uh, simplest application of that is you Christians are so bigoted because you think that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Here's my response. Wow, it is my view, but don't beat up on me about it. This is what Jesus said. And he said it lots of times. And this is what he taught all those who followed after him to say, too. So do you think Jesus is mistaken? Ah, notice what I did is I shifted it on Jesus and I ended with a what? A question. Question. Yeah. And so that tosses it back. Now they're fighting Jesus. There was a fellow who had a had a he had a he had a a daughter who was in a a beauty pageant a few years ago when they characteristically would ask the beauty pageant contestants, what do you think of same sex marriage? You know, and that Mm. put him in a difficult spot if they were Mm -hmm. Christian. So he said, how should my daughter respond? And here's what I told him. When she is asked the question, she should say, well, since I'm a Christian, um, I have the same view about marriage that Jesus had. Oh, well, what's that? Well, in Matthew 19, I can sum it up this way. Jesus said, marriage is one man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. Mic drop. Okay, now that's hard. <laughs> Mic <Yeah>. drop. <laughs> okay, so, so that's my view too. You know, and leave it at that. So, you know, now what are they going to do? It's a great mm-hmm. summary. One man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. That goes right back to Genesis chapter 2, which Jesus did, the, the creation order. And that covers all the sexual issues and same-sex marriage and homosexuality and gender dysphoria. One statement covers it all from the mouth of Jesus. So now if they want to complain, who are they beating up on? They're beating mm. up on Jesus. Well, that's they just your interpretation Jesus. of Jesus. That's just your interpretation of Jesus, Greg. Okay. What do you say to that? Okay. So my response is, okay, given the statement that I just cited, what would your interpretation be of the word? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but through me. So tell me, how would you interpret those words? Mm. Okay. So turn it uh, back on them. Right, right back on them because these, these are clear yeah. statements. Yeah. These, are, these aren't ambiguous statements. So just say, well, how would you take that? What do you mm-hmm. think he meant? Mm-hmm. You know, there now, are some ev- statements that are unclear, but those aren't. Sure. 
Yeah. I, I want everybody to think about this in the context of these holiday dinners we're all going to have. Instead of making bombastic statements to people about what you believe, maybe you ought to just start asking questions about what right. they believe. <laughs> and then yeah, no. you'll be in a much better position to move people closer to Jesus. Go ahead, Greg. What were you going to say? I, I, no, actually, I, this is a great advice. And again, stay in the shallow end of the pool. Just use the first two steps. What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? And mm. that's all you're doing. And they can converse all you want. I want you're relaxed. Nobody's fighting. You're not taking exception with them. Let them talk. It's amazing how often people will dig a hole for themselves. Now, our goal is not to dig a hole for them. It's not to make them look ridiculous. It is to let them talk long enough so that their ridiculous views often look ridiculous mm -hmm. the way they actually are. Okay, that's and, and it's amazing how often this, those two questions will accomplish that. Now you have, we can't cover all this, unfortunately. Right. Uh, they got to get the book. The book is called Tactics, the 10th Anniversary Edition. But Greg, you have a whole chapter in here on, um, oh, I just had it here. I just lost Inside it for a out. second. Inside Out. That's right. Yeah. Inside Out. Briefly give us what Inside Out is about because that's okay, very the, insightful. Uh, this is a, uh, actually, this is an insight into what it means to be human. Okay. And Francis Schaeffer talked about what he called the mannishness of man. Now, it's an odd phrase, but it's very provocative. It's the idea that human beings are different from everything else. And they're different, not just in a qualitative way, but in a quantitative way. Qualitatively, we're more valuable. But we've also been built with information already on the inside. Okay, um, and and uh, the knowledge of God in many ways is built into us. So we know, for example, that the world is a world thick with morality. We know about we have faculties to perceive the moral nature of things. We know that human beings are made for a purpose. And this is why we talk somebody out of a suicide. In fact, I'd ask that to an atheist. Uh, I say I'd say, would you ever try to talk somebody out of a suicide? Of course I would. Why? Well, I wouldn't want them to waste their lives. How can you waste a life that has no purpose? Right. Well, the only purpose we have is um, is the purposes we make. I'm, okay, but the person we're talking about has a purpose of killing themselves. Why are you trying to talk them out mm -hmm. of the purpose of mm -hmm. their own life? Mm -hmm. Okay, so notice these are all questions, but it's trading on an understanding that there is something built into every person and understanding they are made in the image of God. They live in God's world and they cannot escape themselves. They can run from God, but they can't run from themselves. And what I do in this chapter is I show how in many, many ways there are truths built into us by God that cannot escape coming out. So that which is on the inside always makes its way to the outside. And all we have to do is watch and especially listen. So people will say, for example, oh, there is no morality. It's just a matter of personal opinion. Therefore, it's wrong for you to push your morality on me. <laughs> well, that's a contradictory statement, that's right? right. Uh -huh. Well, if there is no morality, it can't be wrong for me to push my morality on you. There's nothing so on wrong. The one, yeah. No, there's nothing wrong. On yeah. the one hand, they speak the lie. And on the next hand, they speak mm -hmm. the truth. 
And I, you start off the chapter by pointing out how Richard Dawkins on one hand says there is no good. There is no evil. There's just blind, pitiless indifference. And on the other hand, right. he's claiming that God is evil. You can't right. have it both ways. It's inside exactly. out. The inside comes out when pressed. Yeah. And, and that's, he, by the way, they, what comes out on the inside for him is a, is moral assessment that he thinks is valid. Now, his mm-hmm. judgment against God is not legitimate, but that he makes judgments morally on things is part of what God made him to be, and he cannot suppress that. All right, here, I, uh, I'm, I'm on page 248 of the new tactics. People need to get this. We only got two minutes left with Greg. I'm gonna, this is one of the mini tactics right here in the new chapter on mini tactics. Greg, here's the challenge. Your God commanded genocide when you destroyed the Canaanites. Your response? Well, uh, this is called moving towards the objection, and my mm-hmm. answer is, of course he did. Do you know what those people did? Do you know the behaviors that they regularly took uh, that uh, they were they sacrificed sometimes thousands of children? If you were an atheist standing there looking at what they were doing, you would be saying, how could God allow this if there really was a God? Mm -hmm. Now, what I did there is I didn't push away from the objection. I moved towards it, embraced it and gave a rationale about why why what God did was legitimate. Yes. Now, actually, it's not genocide because it was really sinocide because he did the that's same right. thing to Israel when Israel <laughs> was worshiping the golden calf. But that's, right. that's that's the way they'll characterize it. But moving toward the objection, you said, well, yeah, what would you do? Uh, I mean, on every college course. campus I go to, Greg, I hear people talking about how much evil there is in the world and why doesn't God stop it? And here's an instance yeah. in the Bible where God does stop it and they're complaining about it. You know exactly. I mean? Exactly. So they, they want to have way, it both ways. Yes, exactly. Notice that when you say, what would you do? That is mm-hmm. a question. They mm-hmm. were they were sacrificing children in, you know, in hot molten images, dropping their living children. What would you do to these people? Yeah, put it in their in their court. That's a question that now challenges their view. There's so many more in the book. You got to get it, friends. The 10th anniversary edition of Tactics. Greg, tell people where they can learn more about you as well. Well, str.org is the best place. And uh, all of our stuff at the Standard Reason website, I hope you'd uh, they'd listen to the podcast. I'm glad you listened to it, Frank. And, and many others have listened to it through the years, and it's really helped them. It's the best place to see the tactics in action. And the book is fabulous. I know you probably already have the older edition. Trust me, there's a lot lot more new tactics here in this particular book. You need to get it. You need to listen to the podcast as well. So that's Greg Kokel, ladies and gentlemen. Again, the new book, Tactics, the 10th Anniversary Edition. I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. I will see you here next week. Lord willing, God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.